If my dad were a superhero, he would be Mr. Incredible. Uh, power Stranger. Um, the power to make toys. If my dad had a superpower, I'd want him to have firepower so he could grill our food. <laughs> Easy. If my dad had a superpower, it would be flying. Um, super strength. Mm. Speed power. Super flying. Yeah. My dad will have super drink. If I had to pick a super power for my dad, it would be flying because he's always complaining about driving me places. <laughs> dad is my dad. I love my dad. My dad and God are like each other because they're very trusting and when they're far away, you know that they're right there. I like to go fishing with my dad. I love to read with my dad. My dad is something. <laughs> my dad likes to braid my hair. He does it better than mom. My dad and me like to go boating. Bro, 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 bro. Me and my dad have been practicing t-ball together. One thing that I did with my dad that was fun was going camping. My dad and I like to go on daddy-daughter dates. I like to go fish with my dad. One word to describe my dad is awesome. Legit. I love you, Dad. Oh, that's good, isn't it? Well, good morning. Happy Father's Day to all you guys. Listen, I was just thinking, this is how my mind works, just a little peek behind the curtain. Um, Father's Day is a unique holiday, especially when you're walking through the foyer in church, because at Easter, people will go, Happy Easter, and you go, eh, Happy Easter to you, too. And Christmas, Merry Christmas, well, Merry Christmas to you, too. And Mother's Day, they don't say anything to me. But uh, Father's Day, I'll be walking through, I know I was walking through the church last night, Happy Father's Day. You know, some lady says to me, and I turn around, Happy Father's Day to you, too. It's kind, of, <laughs> kind of inappropriate, but it's okay. Anyway, on those lines, which have nothing to do with anything, but it's great, just good information. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now from an off-site campus or maybe on the internet. We're glad that you guys are along uh, uh, and, and have joined us on a Sunday morning just to worship the Lord. Hey, uh, let me ask you a question. Um, what... Uh, what, what triggers fear for you? All right, what a great way to start a message. <laughs> what, what, triggers, what, what triggers fear or anxiety? Is there anything? Is there anything that triggers, you know, you see something, hear something, it just triggers it. What about weird fears? Do you have any weird fears? I mean, it, you, you don't want to talk about? How about we talk about them for just a minute? Just turn to your neighbor and tell them, no, don't do that. Um, I was looking, looking this up, and... Um, there's, there's uh, several, I'll just give you three. Uh, coolrophobia, coolrophobia. Anybody know what that is? Yeah, that's a fear of clowns. And that's a big deal. I know, you know, today, you know, they've got the weird clowns and all that. Johnny Depp, the actor, is actually seriously afraid of clowns. Something happened in his background, and so he's got this coolrophobia. How about this one? How about this one? Maybe some of you have this. Uh, I'm full of... I think that's how you say it, omphalophobia. Anybody know what that is? That's a fear of belly buttons. <laughs> um, it's, it's like you're afraid somebody will touch your belly button. Uh, anybody here uh, like me have that fear? Normal like me? 
I do, I'm serious. And so my wife uh, just abuses me. You know, do this kind of stuff. It's just a, something in my background somewhere. I don't know what it was. Uh, nomophobia. Half of you have this. Half of you have this fear. 50%. They just identified this five years ago, and it's the fear of being out of a cell phone signal. Okay? Anybody have that? Seriously, they study these things. And uh, yeah, I thought that was a lot funnier than it was, but... Whatever. Um, I have a weird phobia of, you ever go to the doctor and they do your blood pressure? And they have that little, I mean, it's harmless, that little blood pressure thing that goes around creeps me out. Totally creeps me out. In fact, I have to tell the nurse or doctor, whoever it is, some of you are here today, you know this is true. So just ignore whatever the machine says because my, my, my heart's doing a mile a minute and all this. Somebody asked me one time, well, what are you afraid of? And, and as it pumps up, I'm afraid I'm going to blow up. Literally, I'm going to, all the blood's gonna stop there and it's gonna blow up. And so it's, yeah, the, yeah, whatever. It's not good. Uh, we have funny fears, we have real fears. Um, I know 30 years ago, we had a car wreck. And uh, for a few weeks afterwards, uh, I couldn't even drive because I would see a car and I would just know that that car's gonna hit me. Right, see, this one happened to be a Mack truck in the rearview uh, mirror. I, I remember seeing the signal for that just as it hit. And I, every car that didn't slow down quite as I, I thought it should, I, I just knew that they were going to hit me. And even today, I'll be driving sometimes, and that fear will come, just come out of, out of nowhere. And you may, have, you, you may have a similar fear. You may have a fear that's entirely uh, different than that. And so what I want to do is I'm going to talk about anxiety a little bit today. We're in a series. We're talking about giants that must fall. Uh, Joshua started the series. My son Joshua started the series a couple of weeks ago. And uh, we'll, we'll talk more about that in just a minute. But fear and anxiety is the number one thing that you guys put on the cross that said, this is the giant for me. And so this weekend, I want to deal with it a little bit. I, I wish that with one weekend, you could slay the giant, never have an issue with it again. I do think that we can take ground. I think that there are moments in time, in fact, there was a young man last night in his 20s that said to me, you know, you, you did a message a few years ago uh, on there is no fear in death. And he said, from that moment on, he said, something changed in me. He said, I'd, I'd had a fear of death since I was just a little bitty kid. And when you talked about that, there, it was like a, a mountain that I climbed or a giant that I, I slayed. Occasionally, it comes back up. And the same thing with fear. You'll have to face it from time to time, but I, I hope there's some principles today that will help us uh, deal with anxiety in various areas of our life. Anxiety uh, is a threat detection center. It's actually a gift from God. It gives you immediate energy and immediate information. Have you ever been there? It's kind of like a radar screen, and you've got these little blips, and the blip might be, I heard a sound. I heard a sound. I remember walking in my neighborhood, and I heard a sound. Okay, in the woods, I heard a sound. So the anxiety uh, detection goes up, that's okay. What, does, what is not okay is when I imagined this huge bear, bigger than anything that's ever been in South Carolina, was behind that sound. That's when, we, that's when we amplify whatever it is, the gift that God gave us, which is just a threat detection. When we amplify the threat, it's when it gets out of control. Now, who suffers from anxiety? We all do from time to time. But there, there are about 40 million American adults that suffer on a regular basis of over 
kind of uh, uh, oversensitive and overly responsible or responsive anxiety. Women worry more than men. They worry about relationships and appearance and personal safety, career, kids, husbands, keeping all the things going that need to be going. Am I good enough? I hear that a lot uh, from ladies. Uh, guys worry about income, accomplishments, uh, their love life, uh, job security, losing their looks, you know, the hair's gone, whatever, it's okay. I've, I've said this before. Let me, let me help you with that, guys. Some of you have a full head of hair. When God looks down on you, all he sees is hair. When he looks down on me, he sees his reflection. And so that's okay. It's good. Don't worry about it. Take that worry off the table. Um, men worry about health, parenting skills. And men tend to associate it with shame more than women do. Guys, you understand that. If, you, if you're, you, first of all, you don't want to admit. If I, if I said, guys, raise your hand if you have a fear. You'd lie. You don't, no, I'm fine. I'm good. But if you have a fear, you don't want to admit it because as a man, you feel like, well, I ought to be over this, and this, this shouldn't affect me, and it's kind of a shame issue. There's no shame in it. We just need to study it and look at what, uh, what God's Word says. What does worry do? Worry causes you, first of all, uh, to jump to conclusions. You ever do that? Jump to conclusions. You might jump to conclusions about medical issues. Get a call and you jump to a conclusion. Or you jump to a conclusion. I know uh, one of the things my wife deals with from the car accident several years ago is, and it happened last night on the way home from church. We're driving home from church and a police car with the siren going comes by us. You know what Debbie does immediately? She calls the kids. Because jumps to the conclusion that that siren, that alarm, must have something to do with the kids because of something that was etched way back in the background. She's doing better with it, but it's something that comes up uh, from time to time. Or you jump to conclusions about relationships. You ever, uh, especially teenagers and adults, we do it too, you text somebody and they don't text you back, and you go, well, I wonder what's going on there. I wonder if they really even care. Or, or an unreturned phone call, you know, or, or you go, you come home from a party or a conversation, you go, why did I say that? Why did I say that? So that's that, that bleep on the radar screen, but it gets, we jump to conclusions. You know, they're rejecting me. They're, they're gonna reject me just like everybody else. Teenagers deal with this every day at school with all the technology and all the stuff that's going on, and social media, and, 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 and it just, anxiety causes you to jump to conclusions. Here's another thing, studying it, anxiety literally makes everything stink. Would you agree with that? Let me tell you how literally it does. Uh, they've stu one study said as people get more anxious, they're more likely to label neutral smells as bad smells. Why do they do that? L listen to this. I'm going to read it. In typical odor processing, it is usually just the olfactory system, is that how you say it, that gets activated. But when a person becomes anxious, the emotional system becomes part of the olfactory processing stream, and it gets everything out, out of kilter. And it's not just smell, but everything. The emotions get involved, and, and then it gets out of kilter. And so literally, anxiety literally makes the world stink. And anxiety will, um, will wear you out. You agree with that? Uh, someone said that a day of worry is more exhausting than a day of work. If you've ever been there, you know that that is the truth. So anxiety is a giant it's an obstacle that eats away at the joy in our life. What do we do about it? You just throw up your hands and go, well, that's just my lot in life, you know. Other people, 
uh, have joy easier. I, I know, I'm gonna be honest with you, some people wake up in the morning. Anybody here, how many of you wake up in the morning and you feel good every morning? You're ready to attack the day every morning. I am not one of you, okay? <laughs> I wake up in the morning with lousy thoughts. I just do. It's just like, this morning I woke up. Will I be able to get through this? I've got three messages to go. What if I draw a blank? What if some of the things I say aren't funny? What if, what if, what if, what if? It's just, that's my brain in the morning. Anybody relate to me? Or anybody normal like I am? Okay, yeah. So, so what do you do? You go, well, that's just my lot in life. You know, worry, worry, worry. It's a part of my family. And uh, well, I'm just gonna do it. Or can you, can you learn some skills from your creator on stewarding this gift of anxiety? Anxiety is a gift. Remember, it's a, it's a radar screen. It tells us, it energizes us, tells us when there might be a threat. That's good. But when we overdo it is when we, we get into this, this uh, downward spiral. Well, we're in a series, Goliath Must Fall. And uh, the, the inspiration came from a book by Louis Giglio. And it... The premise is this, the story of David and Goliath, most of us, whether you go to church much at all or not, you've heard that story. You know, the underdog, David, who defeats Goliath, uh, and, and we see ourselves in that story as David, that we have these giants, and we can name a lot of them. During this series, we're going to talk about anger. Josh talked about anger last week. We'll talk about addiction. We may cover another giant. But we, we go, well, I ought to be like David. I ought to be able to face the giant. I'd be able to defeat the giant if I could just muster enough within myself. And then we get into this whole, am I good enough thing? Again, it's just downward spiral. And the premise is this, is that rather than seeing ourselves as David, how about we see Jesus as David? Jesus is the one that has defeated giants. And as we're gonna see today, he's defeated the worry giant. He's defeated the anxiety giant. We see that in scripture. And rather than seeing ourselves as you know, this superpower, this superhero, let's see ourselves kind of like the army of Israel who once David defeated the giant, they just stepped into the victory. And so we're gonna figure out how did Jesus defeat worry and anxiety and how can we step into the, to the victory? How do you slay the anxiety giant in your life? We're also in a year in the word. It's part of our series where we're reading through the Bible in a year and and uh, so, so we try to preach on what you read about. And so I want to preach today on a story that you read this week, okay? And the story, again, was about David, but it's 15 years later than, the, than David and Goliath's story. And in this story, we find David as a king in waiting. 15 years ago, he's been anointed king, but it hasn't been a good time. Saul, the current king, is not happy with David. He's been chasing David for the last eight years. For the first seven years, David was in Saul's court. And then Saul became jealous, and now he's chasing, he's trying to kill him. He's resourcing as much as he can toward that. And uh, so, so uh, for the last eight years, he's been doing that. And so for the last four years, David has been in a city called Ziklag. Why is he in Ziklag? Ziglag is a Philistine city, and so what David did four years before is he got tired of Saul chasing him all the time, and so he went over to the enemy side. And he convinced the Philistines that, that, uh, that he was no longer, you know, going to fight for Israel, and, and he did a lot of things to prove that that was the case. And so the Philistine king began to trust him and gave him a city called Ziklag. Now, 
This is a low point in David's life. In fact, we're gonna see one of the lowest points up to this point in his life in the story today. What happens is um, there's going to be a battle between uh, the Philistines and the Israelites, but the difference of this battle is it's gonna be a climatic battle, and in the next few days, Saul, the king of Israel, is gonna be killed. Not only Saul, but Saul's son, one of whom is Jonathan, is going to die also. His three sons and Saul are gonna die in a battle. And David, he doesn't know this, but after 15 years of waiting, David is gonna be anointed king in just a few days, all right? But before that happens, David has to line up his guys with the, all of the Philistine army and get ready to attack his own people, uh, uh, Israel. Now, just before they get ready to go, some of the Philistine generals say, I'm uncomfortable with this guy, David. And the Philistine uh, king says, no, he's okay. He's proved himself to us. And one of the guys said, no, one of our guys was listening to the radio the other day and we heard a song. Well, what song was that? Well, it was sung by a, a, a girl band and here's how it went. It said, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his 10,000s. Well, what's wrong with that song? Well, the 10,000s are us. It's Philistines that they're talking about. We don't trust this guy. And so they had a big argument, but finally they won the day. And the Philistine king said to David, said, go back to Ziklag. Take your guys, got about 600 guys, you go back to Ziklag. Well, so they go back to Ziklag, and when they go, they find that uh, another enemy, the Amalekites, have attacked the city that David lives in, and they've destroyed everything. In fact, we're gonna pick up the story there. It says, David was greatly distressed. The word distressed there is anxiety. He has anxiety. Now, there are different types of anxiety. There's situational anxiety, okay? You know what that is. That's when the radar screen goes, boop, we have a problem. Uh, that there's an alert, there's an alarm, it's situational. It's okay. Now, the only thing that makes it bad is when you over-exaggerate it, okay? Now, when you over-exaggerate, sometimes it becomes a chronic anxiety. See the difference? Situational, chronic. Situational fear, chronic fear. One sometimes leads to the other. This is a situational, um, situational distressing that, oh, by the way, if he doesn't deal with it, it could, it could uh, uh, deal with him stepping into his destiny. And that's true of all of us. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. How do you know that would cause you some distress? <laughs> What's happened is these guys, these guys see the city destroyed. Everything's burned. All their, their, their wives, their children, everything they have are gone. They're going, they're gone. We'll never see them again. That's what fear does. They're probably dead. They probably were tortured before they were dead. And now let's turn it to David and let's kill David. And said that each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and his daughters. Now, let me stop there. The next part of this verse is key to us understanding overcoming anxiety. Uh, I know what I'm talking about. I've dealt with anxiety at various points in my life. I'll tell you about a situation in just a few minutes. But it was this scripture along with Philippians chapter four, which we're gonna study today, which turned the corner for me, which slayed the giant of anxiety in my life. Do I deal with it? Sure, from time to time. But it is not an overwhelming force that, that comes against me and seems to destroy me on a regular basis. And so look at the next verse for David because it's a key in his life. It says, but David 
found strength in where? In the Lord his God. Look at it in the King James Version. It says, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. If he had not encouraged himself, he could not have been king. If you don't learn to encourage yourself, you're gonna limit the destiny that God has for you. And so I wanna talk about how you encourage yourself in the Lord. What do you do? And normally I have three points, but since this is so important, I've got five, all right? So how do you encourage yourself in the Lord? Number one is you get God's perspective on your problem. Get God's perspective on your problem. Can I say this? Chances are that's not where you started. You have a problem, bang. Is the first thing you think about God's perspective? No, it's not. Anxiety is something that you feel and, and you have a feeling and, and I'm, I'm afraid or I'm anxious and, 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 if, and, and you begin to snowball and you're thinking about where that this could go. But if you're gonna overcome this giant, you've gotta learn to, listen to this, you've gotta learn to listen to your emotions but not necessarily believe them. You have emotions but have you ever had a time in your life when you felt something that wasn't true? Anybody had that? You felt something. It was a real feeling, but the feeling wasn't true. Could have been about a relationship, about a circumstance, about a future event. The great theologian Mark Twain says it this way. I am an old man. He's not a theologian. Okay, by the way, that's an opportunity to laugh. <laughs> that was good. Help me with my anxiety here. He said, I am an old man and have known a great many troubles, but most of them never happened. <laughs> How many of you can relate to that? Two of us can relate to that. Okay. Yeah. It's things that aren't true. So the first thing that David did is he got God's perspective. Take a look at this. It says, then David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. That's their way of hearing from God in the Old Testament. Abiathar Brought, brought it to him, and David inquired of the Lord. He got God's perspective, and he asked this question. Should I pursue this raiding party, and will I overtake them? Two questions. Should I pursue them, will I overtake them? And here's the answer. Pursue them, uh, uh, the priest answered, and you will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. So David got God's perspective. When you're anxious about something, when you're worried about something, the first thing you need to do is get God's perspective. How do you do that? Do you have an ephod? You didn't even know what an ephod was. I'm not gonna take time to explain it because this message is kind of long anyway. and We gotta get it short so we can get out of the parking lot today, okay, right? Without losing our salvation, all right? So, so here we go. You have God's word. Something David didn't have. He had to go to a priest for God's word. You just go to the word for God's word. You've got God's word, and you've got the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's something else you have. God's perspective is this, that Jesus has overcome, already overcome. He has already slain the giant of anxiety and worry. Now, here's a scripture that's not on your outline sheet. It's found in, in John I think chapter 14 or chapter 15. It's the, the Last Supper, uh, and Jesus is telling his disciples some important things. And he says this. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. Does anybody have a testimony of that? In this world, he said, you will 
have trouble. There's no such thing as being such a good Christian that you will never have trouble. Doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. But here's what else he says. But be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. Jesus said you're going to have trouble. You're going to have times when you're going to want to be anxious about things. But you need to remember, get perspective, I have overcome whatever you're anxious about, including worry. In fact, worry, here's what he said about worry. He said, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 25, therefore I tell you, do not worry. Do you think Jesus asks us to do something that we can't do? Do you? How many of you violate this particular principle? Okay, we're gonna worry. Anxiety is going to come. But I think what it's saying is don't get caught up in worry. Don't let worry dominate you. Refuse to let worry dominate you. Why, he says. Don't worry about your life, what you will eat, drink, about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more important than food? The body more important than clothes? Uh, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than them? The answer to that is yes. Then he says, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Here's what Jesus says. Worry doesn't work. Let's ask you a question. How many of you have ever made a situation better by worrying about it? Anybody? No. Then why do we do it? Because we're insane. Keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting what? Different results. Jesus says right here, worry doesn't work. Well, let's try something that does then. Jesus has overcome the worry giant. And so what do you do? 1 Peter 5, verse 7. Cast most of your anxiety... No, that's the revised substandard perversion is what that is. Let's get the real one. He says, cast all, say all together, all. all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He says, when you worry, do a transfer, divine transfer. Worry doesn't work. Here's, here's what you think. Here's what you think. Rather than thinking about how awful things are, da 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 here's what you do is you go, you know what? Jesus has conquered the worry giant. He said, we're gonna have trouble, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Worry doesn't work, and so what I'm gonna do is rather than spending time worrying, I'm gonna cast, I'm gonna cast, I'm gonna cast my cares on him. I'll tell you how to do that in just a minute as we go along. So, get God's perspective. Number two, second thing we do is, well, how about this quote? This is a good quote. Every evening I turn my worries over to God, he's gonna be up all night anyway. I like that. <laughs> That's good, okay? All right, here we go. Enlist a team to help you. Enlist a team to help you. David couldn't do it by himself. He needed a team. Here we go. Look at this, uh, verse nine. David and the 600 men with him came to the Bezor Valley where some stayed behind. That's an interesting thought. Let's look at the rest of that. 200 of them were too exhausted to cross the valley. So David chewed him out, kicked him out. of No, he didn't. Actually, if you read the story, at the end of the story, these guys got the same reward as everybody else, which is an interesting leadership principle I don't have time to teach. But uh, 
They're too exhausted, but David and the other 400 continued the pursuit. Here's a couple of principles. Not everybody should be on your team. Don't worry about the ones that stay behind. Well, I wish so-and-so were more supportive. Well, you know what? Maybe they're exhausted. Some people are too exhausted with their own stuff to help you. Sometimes when we're pretty steeped in worry, we exhaust other people. Have you ever been there? And you don't need somebody that's totally at the end of their rope helping you. And sometimes, sometimes, some people are in the same ditch as you are and they aren't willing to take up the battle. And you don't need them pulling you down. So don't worry that some people who you think are gonna take the journey with you or be a part of your team or help you, that they're, they're just not there for you. Don't worry about that. Just latch on to those that, that are there with you. Now, who do you need on your team? Let me suggest some, some people you need on your team. First of all, you need God. <laughs> How many, that's good, isn't it? Yeah. You go, well, I thought God was already on my team. Didn't Paul, the apostle, say, if God is for us, who can be against us, therefore God is for us, right? Would you agree with that logic? But here's the problem. God can be on our team and we can be unaware of it. And so you've got to bring it to your mind. God is for me. God is on my team. I, I, need, I, I, I need to engage with God. How do you engage with God when you're worrying? Let me give you two or three things. First of all, find a quiet place. Find a quiet place. Put a little worship music on. Josh talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Google the promises of God. I believe in Google. I just really do. They're going to own everything. Them and Amazon before long. But Google the promises of God. Just write the promises of God about worry or anxiety or whatever it is you're worrying about. And get a bunch of scriptures, a bunch of promises, okay? You can go out and buy a promise book or you can just Google it. And then, and then begin to read them. And I'll guarantee you one of them will jump out to you as being God's word to you. And you go, oh man, I latched on. Have you ever had that happen? I latched on to that particular promise. And then begin to meditate on that. What does that mean? Say, I don't know how to meditate. If you know how to worry, you know how to meditate, okay? Worry is thinking about the same thing over and over and over again. Well, we're just gonna meditate on God's word rather than worry, and then write it down. Write it down. Write out how you're feeling, what's going on. That's what the Psalms are. There's 150 of them, and David writes out, and it brings, it brings God to the center. Sometimes in the Psalms, you'll hear God, David going, life's terrible, I hate it, this is awful, break all my enemies' teeth, all that kind of stuff. You go, yeah, I like that. And then he comes down to it, and he, 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 gets, he gets centered on God. And sometimes you just gotta get things out, right? In order to get centered on God. So write it down, write it down, okay? Second thing you need is you need a tour guide. You need a tour guide. Now there's a difference between a travel agent and a tour guide. Travel agent will tell you how to get there, but they've never been. Now I don't mean to tick off all the travel guides uh, in our, or travel agents, but a tour guide is somebody who's been there and wants to go with you. Says, let me, let me go, let me show you. Listen, I've been there. Let me, let me show you what, what, uh, where I've been. Now, take a look at this. This is a great scripture. 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles. And then look at this. So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves receive from God. That's a travel guide. That's, a, that's somebody that goes with you, all right? We back up on that scripture. It says uh, that uh, God comforts us in all of our troubles. How does he do that? Through people. 
usually through people. We can sense the presence of God, but God, you ever been there where somebody showed up at just the right time? That was the God of comfort bringing somebody into your life. Now, as you get through it, he wants you to be a travel guide for somebody else. He wants you to be one who brings comfort to somebody else, all right? Then the third thing you need is you need a Sherpa. A Sherpa. Do you know what a Sherpa is? If you're climbing a mountain, the Sherpa is the one that carries the baggage. And you need somebody to carry your baggage, somebody that can do that. I can remember um, when I first got into ministry, uh, Freeport, Illinois, I was 23 years old, and just knew I wanted to pastor a church, but I was clueless, absolutely clueless. And uh, we moved from Denver to Illinois. I'd never really, you know, I'd traveled in my band to various cities, but I'd, I'd never really lived anywhere but Denver. The climate in Illinois was totally different. We're in a farming community, just a few people. It's not like a big city. And uh, the coldest winter in the history of Illinois up until that point, uh, 1979, blizzard of 1979. Uh, I only had preached three times, three sermons in my life, but I thought, this can't be that hard. And uh, so uh, the second week that we were there, uh, the second Sunday was my birthday, January 14th, 1979. And we, uh, the, the uh, temperature was 40 below zero. And we had to cancel church. I was actually happy about canceling church because I had to preach Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I'd preached all three sermons that I had. And now I've got the rest of my life, I gotta come up with new sermons every week. It's not as easy as you think, okay? And so anyway, a combination of that and just feeling inadequate and all this kind of stuff, I went into anxiety, fear, worry. I mean, I, I worried about what people thought about me. I worried if I'd ever get another message. I worried if I had anything to say. I worried if I could do this. Got into anxiety, then got into depression, wanted to quit. Six months of kind of depression where you just want to get in a bed. And you don't want to get up. Some of you know what that's like. During that time, a Sherpa came along. Happened to be my dad, who's with us here today. My dad was pastoring in St. Louis, uh, Missouri, just down the road, about three hours and uh, he said, you can do this. He, he'd tell me over and over and over again, you can do this. I believe in you. You can do this. I didn't believe in me, but he believed in me. God believed in me. I said, I can't preach. I, I don't know what to say. So he sent me sermons, actual sermon notes. I preached dad's sermons. When dad preached them, they were great. When I preached them, they were awful. They were terrible. In fact, um, I used to stand at the door and greet people, everybody going out uh, after uh, a service. And I remember a farmer coming up to me and saying, you know, I love you, but... Uh, for life me, I can't understand a word you're saying. <laughs> That's why I don't greet at the door anymore, okay? Because I don't need that. I really don't need that. <laughs> Maybe it's improved a little bit since then. But dad was, dad was a sure, but dad was there with me. And you need somebody like that, okay? Uh, you, you, you need a counselor. Uh, you may need a counselor. If up to this point you're stuck, get a good Christian counselor. And, uh, and, and number five, you might need a doctor. It's okay. You know, you ask yourself, is this chronic? If it's chronic, you may need a doctor. If it's, if it's hereditary, you may need a doctor. You may need medicine. God can heal through that too. So God's got perspective and list a team, or get God's perspective. Here's the third thing. Third thing, there it is. Look for signs that build your faith. Look for signs that build your faith. What was interesting is with David, they didn't know where the Amalekites were. They, they had no idea where they took their family. God just said, go, go find them. So how do they find them? They gotta look for signs. Uh, 1 Samuel 30 and verse 11 says they found an Egyptian in a field and brought him to David. And they gave him water to drink and food to eat. Here's the story on this. The Amalekites had an Egyptian slave that got sick 
And they just discarded him. Said, we don't have any need for him anymore. And that Egyptian slave became the one that led David to where all that was lost could be found. There's principles there. You know what somebody else discards may very well be a sign for you. God may use, God will use unusual things. Look for, God, look for signs of progress along the way. Too many people when they're in anxiety or they're worried or they're depressed, they look for the opposite. You know, troubles always come in threes, you know. No, they don't. Sometimes they come in ones. Sometimes they come in sixes, okay? But, it, you know, well, you know, there's, we've had two. There's probably another one coming. And just, you just think, don't think about that stuff. That doesn't help anybody, okay? Look for good things. All right, we'll, we'll talk about that too. Uh, number four, be prepared to fight hard to take back what was stolen. What we want to do normally is when we're in anxiety, fear, worry, depression, whatever it is, God, just take this away from me. I'm, I feel paralyzed. I can't do anything. And I'm, I'm telling you, you've got to do something. You've got to do something. Be prepared to fight hard. Look at what it says in verse 17. David fought them, who? The enemy, the Amalekites, from dusk until evening of the next day. It was a hard fight. And none of them, this is so funny. This is hilarious, this verse. Bible's funny sometimes. It sounds like politics today. And none of them got away except for 400. <laughs> you would think except for one. No, you know, it's like, um, he gave all his money except for a million dollars. You know, that, that kind of thing. Don't worry about the ones that get away. All right, don't worry about it. So, so confronting the enemy is hard. You can't wring your hands and roll up your sleeves at the same time. How many of you would agree with that? So get a battle plan and stay with it. Let me give you a battle plan. This is probably the most important part of what I've talked about today. Let me give you a battle plan for overcoming the enemy in this area, for slaying the giant. Number one, start exercising again. Because when you're in anxiety, when you're all worried, when you're depressed, when you're discouraged, you quit exercising. You don't feel like it. You don't want to do anything. Do you know what? That God has built us with this natural endorphin, this chemical in our brain that's a feel-good thing. And, and so you need, to, you need to do that. It's a, just a natural feel-good, a natural feel-good. Here's the second thing. Refuse to let anxiety rule you. Refuse to let anxiety rule you. Here's Philippians 4 and verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Are you going to have anxious thoughts? Yeah. Are you going to entertain them? Well, you can if you want to, but it's not going to do you any good. So just refuse. Say, I am not going to let anxiety rule me. But in every situation, what do you do? By prayer and petition, you can either worry or pray. Your choice. You can't do both of them. And so you're going to choose to pray with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Christians have been doing that all through the years. I happen to have in my pocket, anybody, how many of you are Catholics in your background? Rosary? What's a rosary? Rosary is just a way where on this one you, you say the Apostles' Creed, on this one maybe a couple of, uh, of uh, the, uh, our fathers and then some Hail Marys and, and other, other Christians down through the years have had, because they didn't want to emphasize Mary so much, the Anglican Church has a prayer rope. and just well, All it is is just doing things. It's just praying. I'm not saying go get a... Uh, whatever. Some of, you, some of you Baptists are looking at me like I've lost my religion. What I'm saying is do something. 
Do, do it with sticky notes. I see people putting sticky notes everywhere. The promise that God has, I'm gonna pray rather than worry. I've even seen sticky notes on the speedometer of the car, okay? Just do something. Refuse to allow anxiety to rule you. And then here's the next thing, is re receive God's peace. That's the beautiful part. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart. That's a promise. That's a promise. If you refuse to let anxiety rule in your life and you pray rather than worry, at some point God's peace is gonna flood in you. God's peace is gonna flood in you. There's God's peace that doesn't make any sense. That's what transcends all understanding. And it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then, here's, here's the next one. Go to war with your thoughts. Go to war with your thoughts. Look at what the next verse says. Philippians 4.8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. Have you know not every thought is true? In fact, your anxiety is never based on reality alone. It begins with reality. Something happens. That's not what makes you anxious. What makes you anxious is your interpretation of what happened. David comes back, the village is empty, that's a problem. The interpretation is, our, we'll never see our relatives again. They're all dead, they're all gone. It's not true, they got them back. See, David, uh, it, it, you have a reality and then you have an interpretation. Have you ever had a symptom in your health? You know, something happens, you see a spot, a lump, you can't, breathe right, whatever it is. And so that's the reality, something's wrong. The interpretation, I'm gonna die. Because you looked it up on Google, and Google said, you will die. These are the, the symptoms of someone who dies. And so, I'm going to die. And so you begin to plan your own funeral. And then you start listening to more country music. And, uh, <laughs> and the true reality is you're getting older. Disgusting things happen from time to time, but you're gonna live and you're gonna be okay. You're not gonna die. You have to learn to think differently. Does that make sense? All right, replace lies with the truth. Replace I will never with I can do all things. Replace I can't with God is able. Replace this is terrible with you know what? God's got this. So you gotta reframe. Get God's perspective, enlist the team, look for good signs, go to work. Last thing, never quit hoping for a better future. Never quit hoping for a better future. When you're bogged down in anxiety, you can't see your way out. You have thoughts like, I'll never get better. My best days are behind. We'll never recover. Business won't recover. Family won't recover. This will never get better. And yet God says the best is yet to come. Take a look at this. David recovered everything, say everything together, everything that the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, uh, plunder or anything else that they had taken. David brought everything back. I love that. Now that does not say that God is gonna keep all of your relatives alive as long as you want them to. This is, this is earth and not heaven, okay? But listen to me. Even if you have a diagnosis that says you only have a few weeks to live, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. I asked my buddy Billy Hornsby in the last days of his life, 
what were the best days of his life? And he said, the last few days. <laughs> he said, you go tell people that there is no fear in death. He said, what I've got waiting for me is beyond comprehension. That's worst case scenario. That's the worst case scenario is the best case. But God wants you to recover what you've lost. Listen, two more scriptures on your outline sheet. You read these this week, if you read your reading, Psalm 71, verse five, he says, for you have been my hope. That's what David says, sovereign Lord. That's the key to his attitude. My confidence since my youth, from birth I have relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will ever praise you, and I love this one. As for me, I will always have hope. Can we read that out loud together? As for me, I will always have hope. Let's say it again like you mean it. As for me, I will always have hope. See, if you're battling with worry and anxiety right now, I want you to get God's perspective, enlist the team, look for signs along the way to build your faith, roll up your sleeves, get ready to work hard, take back what was stolen, and never, ever quit hoping for a better future. How's that sound? Well, I want my dad. Dad, would you come? Uh, dad helped me during my time. I want him to help you during yours. I asked him to pray for you, okay? So will you stand as God, as, as uh, my father comes and prays for you today? He finally found something I'm qualified for. <laughs> right now I'm known because I'm Greg's father. And uh, that's a nice thing to be. But did you know that I have four children, 12 grandchildren, and 20 great grandchildren. God indeed has been wonderful to me. But let's pray together on this Father's Day. It's not a happy day for everyone because there are all kinds of fathers in the world. But there's only one real father and that is our Father in heaven. Mm -hmm. So let's go to prayer. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that we know you and that you claim us as your children and we claim you as our Father. Mm -hmm. We're thankful that that is there for us and for real. You have planted us in families for that's the healthy way to grow. You have said that you would be the Father to the fatherless and there are those who don't have those fond memories of a loving Father. But in our hearts and in our minds, Lord, you're there for us. You are my Father. And because you are, I will fear, fear no evil, for you will walk with me. I pray, Lord, that in every heart on this Father's Day, there be fond memories. Memories, if it goes beyond even this world and memories of how good our Heavenly Father has been and keeping His hand upon us. Lord, we commit not only this congregation but the future of the world into the hands of the Father of all in the name of Christ. Amen.